Grumpy Old Geeks, a weekly talk show hosted by Brian Schulmeister and Jason DeFilippo, discussing the finer points of what went wrong on the internet and who's to blame. Welcome to Grumpy Old Geeks. I'm Jason DeFilippo. And I'm Brian Schulmeister. Ready for your trip? No. Not yet. <laughs> uh, did the first uh, Whole Foods order. Uh, that, so all that food has shown up. And I will, because uh, there is no delivery for the Trader Joe's, I'm going to Trader Joe's tomorrow in the morning uh, to uh, stock up on that sort of stuff. So we have food and uh, there's a lot of beer in the car, but I still have to pack up clothes and shit like that. So Yeah, who needs clothes? You got beer, provisions, provisions. That's, well, we are part. going with another family. So I think clothes might be a plus. Uh, depends on the family. No, I mean, oh, this, is, this is Los Angeles. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to staring at four other walls for a while. So that'll be nice. Okay. Well, there's yeah. got to be some kind of view. Well, yes, we have a pool and all that sort of thing. So it's a nice, lovely oceanside California. So the weather should be fine. And it'd be nice to go out and be able to enjoy things. But whatever. <laughs> Take what you get. Uh, uh, speaking of that, I, I've just noticed... Uh, Oh, man, what a mess everything is. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, in my walks and bike rides and and my uh, zipping about town as as little as I do, I I have definitely noticed a decrease in masks for a brief period of time. People were wearing them again, and now they're not. I just got back from a walk with my lady friend. Uh, This is our COVID cock-blocked Thursday morning uh, perambulation around the park. And uh, yeah, the kids were having baseball practice. People were playing basketball. Very few masks to be seen. Yeah, it's it's kind of a joke, and, and the numbers, of course, are still rising here in Los Angeles. Um, I am getting closer and closer to just saying, all right, let's get the gas masks, let's board the plane, let's get out of here. Uh, Toronto is moving to stage three in their recovery. <laughs> uh, here, uh, Mayor uh, Villa Reuseless has uh, just <laughs> been doing nothing but tweeting. I, I, I almost lost my mind last night. I've decided that I really do uh, this this five days or whatever that I'm going to be gone. I, I am off social media because it's it's doing my head in. Um, yeah, I saw last night that you know the mayor of LA account is basically just tweeting out um, something along the lines of this is this is make it or break it week in Los Angeles. We really need to bear down and take care of this. And I just tweeted back. I'm like, what week hasn't been? Why aren't you exactly. shutting it down? <laughs> Why do you keep threatening to shut things down? The numbers keep going up and you just just shut it down. <laughs> not going to happen. Anyways. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And and that I mean basically everybody that was responding to his tweet was saying the same same thing. It's like uh, obviously doing nothing is not working. Our numbers yep. are going up every day. Every day I get an alert. Asking politely is not a viable solution to this problem. No, and, and friend of the show, Mike, made this point, you know, three months ago when we were still already two months into it. He's like, you can't make things optional. People don't do optional. No, they don't because they got freedoms because we're America. Yeah, America. So, yeah, <laughs> things are just getting worse and worse here. And it is what it is and whatever. Going to have to board a plane. Well, the good part here is that uh, test times have turned around. So if you need to get a test in Los Angeles, you can get your results back uh, is in as little as 24 to 48 hours now. Yeah. Which is, uh, then yeah. it's actually useful. That's actually <laughs> useful. That is the big part of the problem with the, with the testing has been the test results don't come back until God, you've been out and about for two weeks. I mean, again, people should treat it if they think they've been exposed and want to go take a test. You should be treating it as if you have it. Yep. And you should be staying home until you get your test back. 
Uh, anyways, but yeah, it, it's it's useless unless you do the rapid testing. So thank thank God we at least have that here in LA. I know they do not have that up in San Francisco because a friend of the show is dealing with this right now. Um, they, David Teeter and uh, Chen think that they have it, and and Chen finally got her test back, and apparently yes, they do. Uh, and he's still waiting for his test results to come back, and it's been over a week. Oh, that reminds me. He called me yesterday. I should call him back. Yeah, you might Oops. want to talk to him. He's dealing with some news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. No, my lady friend went and got hers tested, and within, uh, I think it was like 26 hours, came back negative. So all good there. Yep, yep. So that's a one plus that LA's got going for it right now. All right. That's enough COVID corner. Let's move on to some news. Okie dokie. In the news... Well, all of big tech is currently uh, sitting around and uh, being grilled by senators and House people. And I was going to talk about it, but then I figured, why? Nothing's going to come <laughs> out of this. Uh, nothing is going to come out of this. Uh, they're you know grilling Zuckerberg over acquisitions and feature cloning. They're grilling Bezos over how he's destroyed and every other company known to man and taken everything over as if they're going to do something about it. What are they going to do? Are they going to break up Facebook? No, they're not. Are they going to break up Amazon? No, they're not. And should they be even dealing with this right now while our country slides into an apocalypse? No, they probably shouldn't. But that's what they're wasting <laughs> their time doing right now. Speaking of Bezos, though, I saw some pretty interesting stats on Shopify this week. Mm -hmm. Turns out a lot of third-party merchants are leaving Amazon and moving to Shopify because, you know, Amazon is kind of uh, – they're a little too draconian sometimes, and they basically – uh, they're they're violent, not violent, but uh, <laughs> what uh, what is the word I'm looking for here? I need a thesaurus, is what I need. I should get one from Amazon. God damn it! <laughs> they're pretty draconian in in what they're trying to lay down for third party vendors. It's typical though. This is what you know we kind of knew knew was going to happen. Uh, come to our platform, everyone. Come, we will give you deals like you have never seen before. You're spending. You will sell more products than you've ever sold before. Huge deals. Huge deals. deals. <laughs> and as soon as we get you locked into our infrastructure, we will screw you. <laughs> yeah. So Shopify is definitely getting a big boost from that. So that's kind of good. So, you know, there might be competition out there for them. That'd be nice, but the you just can't get away from the from the ease of going to Amazon.com, finding anything that you want and finding it same day delivery practically. That's kind of it. But uh, the other thing that Shopify probably doesn't have the infrastructure to deal with, and let's be honest, Amazon barely does as well, are counterfeits. Yep. That's kind of the one of the big problems with third-party sellers on Amazon is you get a lot of junk. So, yeah. Yeah. So enough you of that do. random tangent. Sorry about that. I just thought that was uh, interesting to see how Shopify has grown since uh, Apple has turned the thumbscrews on them. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens with that. But again, it's it's hard it's hard to beat the convenience of Amazon and people kind of just go there. So yeah. So I, I think we've got, what, two or three more days of, of congressional hearings with big tech. And, you know, we all know nothing is going to come out of it at all. Well, yeah. So. The, the only thing that should come out of it is that they have to change the antitrust laws in some way, shape or form. But yep. uh uh, can we deal with the, pro the problem that we have right now? We've got bigger problems, bigger fish to fry. <laughs> we do. We do. And uh, Twitter is still attempting to deal with it. And I love this headline. Of course, Twitter had to suspend Donald Trump Jr., yeah. So Monday and Tuesday uh, of this week, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter tried to put out what they called a misinformation wildfire, a viral video, which touted the discredited coronavirus remedy hydro 
hydroxychloroquine? Am I pronouncing hydroxychloroquine. That correctly? Yes. There's no need to learn how to pronounce it because, hey, guess what, people? It doesn't work. In fact, it can actually kill you. But that isn't stopping a bunch of people from claiming that it's actually uh, solved and uh, cured the coronavirus. Uh, and this video also claimed people don't need to wear masks, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, uh, a whole bunch of people in the GOP have retweeted it, including Donald Trump Jr., who said this is a must, a much watch because he couldn't even spell watch. <laughs> correctly. So different from the narrative that everyone is running with. Yes, the reason it is different from the narrative that everyone is running with is because it is bullshit. Total bullshit. And, and we as have... we discovered, <laughs> yeah, this group that put out this video, America's Frontline Doctors, it was a group that was formed within the past two weeks. They have not been around for a long time. <laughs> uh, the viral clips from the video focused on a speech at the event from someone named Stella Emanuel, who is a Houston pediatrician and fringe Pentecostal pastor who has made medical claims about alien DNA and demon sperm. Demon sperm. Yes. My, she... my favorite Slayer album. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, she's basically uh, said that if you've had some of some of the various lady issues that are out there are caused by uh, succubi fucking you in your sleep. This is oh, a real would, claim would, of hers. I would prefer to be awake if I'm getting <laughs> fucked by a succubi. <laughs> Seems kind of a waste otherwise. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously there's nothing to this video, uh, but everybody, it, it, it was the second most engaged post on Facebook on Monday. It was incredibly retweeted. The president, of course, himself has shared various different versions of the video on Twitter. Now, what I love about this is they did take down Donald Trump Jr.'s account, you know, put him put him in Twitter jail for a while because he did it. Why? When asked why Trump account the the papa trump had not been restricted like juniors had a twitter spokesperson told slate the president did not tweet the video he retweeted it um can we get a can we get a clarification over here on what the fucking difference is so apparently you could do whatever the fuck you want as long as you're just retweeting and not tweeting so don't copy that video and tweet it yourself just retweet it and you can do anything Interesting. Very that seems interesting. to be the rules. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. And uh, I know put your tinfoil hat on for this one. But now that Kodak is back in the game, I don't know where they resurrected the corpse of Kodak from. But they're <laughs> going to get a hunt, like over $700 million loan from the government uh, to start building you know, pieces of drugs, like the core components of drugs. Okay. But one of the things that they are going to make in whole, hydroxychloroquine. Now, well, you tell me there's not some backroom shenanigans going on there. No, no, there are actual valid uses for the drug. It's just oh, not, yes, not my, COVID-19. My, so. Yes, my, my roommate's <laughs> actually taking it for uh, rheumatoid arthritis. But it, by the way, terrible side effects. It's a terrible drug. If you don't have to take it, don't. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's just funny that they just happen to be doing that because uh, I, last I heard, we didn't have a shortage because she just went down to Rite Aid and picked hers up when she needed it the other day. So. Yeah. There you go. So all of this this has actually led to possibly what I think is the most 2020 headline ever. Uh, I'm not going to tell you anything from this article. I'm just going to read the headline because nothing says 2020 better than this. Caught lying about baseball invite, president calls Twitter criticism illegal and endorses demon sperm doctor. All right. That is there a real headline. It. 2020 in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, God, you can't make this shit up. Uh, <laughs> Actually, on this one, no, you can't. Because <laughs> who the fuck would have come up with demon sperm? We've had murder hornets. We've had bunny Ebola. Now we've got demon sperm. <laughs> it just doesn't get any more insane. If, if, right. if John Stewart were alive. Oh, God. He the is jokes alive, he Jason. He's not alive. It's the... <laughs> 
the the John Stewart we knew is dead and gone. Now he's got a John beard Stewart, lives on a farm. farm. John Stewart is alive. He's just abandoned us. Yeah, he's left us to our own devices. <laughs> All right, getting back to tech for the most part. Uh, to beat TikTok, Facebook is allegedly throwing money at creators. Now, I kind of applaud this because uh, it's about damn time creators are getting paid for something, but uh, it's a shame it's just for stupid viral videos, but it is what it is. So if you're launching a new social media platform, it isn't enough to have unique features that empower folks to be creative. You also need a bundle of cash, not just to advertise, but to poach high-profile stars from your soon-to-be rival platform. Yes, this is all happening because uh, we're going to be getting Reels soon, the new Instagram feature that basically rips off TikTok. And Facebook is now going after some of TikTok's biggest stars, offering them lucrative offers to get them to switch over to Reels and uh, one would assume be exclusive. Now, it used to be you needed to be on all social networks, but I suppose if Facebook, if Zuck is dropping a big old check off at your house, you will just put your stuff on his platform. Yeah, drop me a million bucks, Zuck. I'll be I'll be on Reels any day now. Just yes, we fine. will. We will become the first podcast to move exclusively to Reels if you give us a couple mil. Seriously, <laughs> I'm fine with that. Yeah, mm. so that's happening. Well, speaking of TikTok, they have decided to open up their algorithm, and they're mm. challenging competitors to do the same. So they're going to let experts look at their – basically look at their algorithms in real time and see how the matching works and what, things like that. They're, they're not putting it up on GitHub? They're not putting it up on GitHub as far as I can tell. <laughs> so uh, – but this, this is all just preemptive, you know, a preemptive strike from them because of all the China shit that's going on with them. And Zuckerberg going up in front of, you know, the Senate and saying, hey, man, uh, you know, TikTok is from China. They're like, you know, they're non-patriotic right. and shit like that. So I just I, I love the fact that uh, one of the, uh, the one of the TikTok guys, the CEO, Kevin Mayer, the di guy from Disney. Yep. He said, without TikTok, American advertisers would again be left with few choices. Competition would dry up, and so too will an outlet for America's creative energy. Gotcha there. We are willing to take all necessary steps to ensure the long-term availability and success of TikTok. Well, you know what I would like to see, TikTok? I, I actually don't give two shits about your algorithm. I'd like to see how often your, your app is phoning home and where home is. Exactly, and stop rating our clipboards. Yeah. Things like that, you know? Yeah, that's what we'd like. Yeah, and maybe move your headquarters to someplace that's not China. If you want to, if you want to distance yourself from China, then get the fuck out of China. Yeah, or you know, just spin off an American version of the company. It's easy enough. The, the Chinese company can still own a percentage of the company. You just spin up a new one. You started here. You you use your uh, Amazon Web Services. You forget to put a password on it. You store everything there, like everybody else does. Exactly. Just give us. Just tell us where the database is. We'll just suck <laughs> it locally. No problem. Yeah. So you know, easily solved, people. Easily, easily. solved. Mm -hmm. uh, we got some Spotify news. Uh, there's a report that came out. The second quarter earnings report has come out, which is not only telling us how people are using the service and how much money it lost. Uh, we've discovered that uh, basically listener habits are almost back to pre-pandemic levels, which makes sense to me because everybody's acting like we're no longer in a pandemic. Yeah. That, uh, and? <laughs> that's about it. So according to the streaming company, it's uh, in-car listening stats have rebounded to just 10% less than what it was before lockdowns began. Uh, obviously, they've, they've gotten very close to getting the 300 million user mark, which is what everybody's kind of rushing towards. And Spotify is well ahead of that uh, that rush. It's got 299 million right now with business still booming as people get back to work and businesses start buying ads again. Uh, of that figure, 138 million are paying for premium. That's actually some, a little surprising. That's 
amazing for me. That's, that's pretty that's, good. That's yeah. some solid business right there. I'm that pretty really impressed is. by that. So, mm-hmm. And they say 21% of its users are now listening to podcasts on the platform. My Our stats personally disagree with that. We have like one. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, one, one guy out there is listening <laughs> to us on Spotify. Uh, so yeah, they seem to be doing well. However, their losses have deepened. Have we not heard this tale before, Jason? Mm-hmm. This is a regular... <laughs> The tale is old as time in the tech industry where they tell us how great they're doing and how business is booming, but their losses keep getting bigger. So, it's called wait for the other shoe. Yes. So as usual, it blames its employees in Sweden for adding to its tax burden, which must make them feel real swell, according to the article. Very funny. Uh, and more importantly, however, and this is uh, this brings uh, an interesting caveat to that point about there being 138 million people paying for the platform. Mm-hmm. More families and students are signing up to group or discount plans, which means average revenue per user falls. All right. Well, I've got a little bit of follow-up on why they lost money this quarter. And Hmm. you can blame Joe Rogan. (laughs) Yes. It's the Howard Stern Sirius XM effect. All of a sudden, you pay somebody a couple gazillion dollars, you don't have much money left. No, actually, it's the other way around. This is the funny part. So they Hmm. give Joe Rogan $100 million. Then the stock goes up. Mm -hmm. Goes up pretty well. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody's happy about that. The bad news is that the company is now on the hook for more share-based compensation to the employees Uh to the tune of $126 million. Whoops. <laughs> so they had to pay Joe a hundred million, and they had to pay the employees one hundred and twenty-six million, which is why the company's quarter losses uh, are greater than normal. So the Joe Rogan effect is: give me all your money, and then give the rest to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. All right. Well, that's interesting. Now I have something I'm kind of curious about how you feel about Jason. Uh, we've we've been dealing with this pandemic and we're living in it way too long, uh, which means that probably a lot of the habits that we're picking up may stick. Things like worrying from home, et cetera. We talked about how you know Google. <laughs> Did you is say made, worrying from home? <laughs> well, worrying from home is the standard, but working yes. from home. I mean, we talked just the last episode about how Google has extended it basically until over you know June of next year, which means like you're spending over a year working at home. You're not going back into an office unless you have to have to because of like family or things like that situation um do you think you could see your are are you in a rush or or hoping to go see a movie in a theater again i wasn't in a rush before this happened i know and you're the you're a huge movie guy like you're the movie guy i'm the music guy i don't really care about movies that much but i was curious about how you felt about it See, the thing is, when I lived in Chicago, a friend of mine and me, we had a a weekly date at the movie theater. Whatever was playing, we'd go every Wednesday morning before we had to work, and we'd catch a matinee. And it was Mm. fun, especially because they served beer. So we'd go watch a movie, (laughs) get a giant Stella, kick back and watch the movie, and it was a fun thing to do. And once I moved to L.A., I'm like, no. Like, the movie theaters out here are okay. I don't have a movie buddy anymore. So I haven't seen a movie in a theater for two years. And I'm okay with that. I got a big-ass TV with a nice sound bar and a bathroom and a pause button. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my, my wife and I were never really big moviegoers either, uh, kind of basically just saving it for, like, Star Wars or something like, you know, something that you kind of want to see in a big screen and around other people. Yeah, event uh, movies. Not, so, yeah, event movies. That's that's about it, really. So I think you and I will both be happy with how this, the, the pandemic is kind of forcing uh, the transition of the movie-going experience. And Universal has just made a deal with AMC to shorten theatrical exclusivity to just 17 days. 
That's fantastic. And, and the I'm reason that, that the reason AMC is down with this as, as they need to be right now is well, first off, they've recognized they're going to have to pivot or else they're not going to be in business because I don't think too many people are in a rush to go back to a movie theater and may not ever again, especially since we're all investing in our in our household theaters these days. Um, so they're going to get a cut of the video on demand. From the from the from Universal, so all Universal movies after they finish their 17 day window in AMC theaters will go video on demand, and AMC will get a cut of of all those costs, which is great. Until the contract runs out, and Universal yep. <laughs> says we don't care about AMC anymore, we don't yeah. care about any movie theaters anymore. Yes. We're just going to do you know VOD for everything now. Well. That won't officially finally happen until the Oscars remove that stupid requirement that you have to be in a theater. Yeah, I, I can see that coming, though. Soon. Yeah, me too. I think it's coming. Now, here's a here's a step on your dick moment for you. A new service that lets AI identify gender based on names. And shockingly enough, it seems to be incredibly biased. You think? Yeah. So it's called Genderify. And uh, this is like, you know, it's a new company. It just popped on Product Hunt, which means who cares? You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, honestly, who cares? So uh, they ran the name Megan Smith. Mm-hmm. And uh, the service offered the assessment male, 39.6%, female, 60.4%, which, you know, Megan is typically a female name. Yeah, usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually. But when they change the name to Dr. Megan Smith, it changes it to male 75.9% and female 24.10%. Other names prefixed with doctor produce similar results while inputs seem to generally skew male. Test at test.com is said to be 96.9% male, for example, while Mrs. Jones Smith is 94.1% male when you put doctor in front of it. Well, that is a that that is a big oopsie. That's for sure. Uh, now, let me back backtrack a little bit and ask something that maybe this is a stupid question, but it's a question I often have whenever I look at and see things on Product Hunt. Who needs this? I was going to say I, I I can I can distill that down to one word. Why? Why? Why, <laughs> Why? Why does this exist? Who who who's who is signing up for this? Who? Who needs this? Don't most forms have gender next to it? And aren't we going to kind of a non-binary gender fluid uh, drop down form at this point anyways? Exactly. Who, you can who be a the Wookie fuck if you needs want. this thing? <laughs> well, kids that uh, post their their new sites on Product Hunt obviously need something to do in the, the pandemic. And I love this. this. This paragraph is perfect. Although these sorts of biases appear regularly in machine learning systems, the thoughtlessness of Genderify seems to have surprised <laughs> many experts in the field. The response from Meredith Whitaker, co-founder of the AI Now Institute, which studies the impact of AI on society, was somewhat typical. Are we being trolled? Is this a psyop meant to distract the tech and justice world? Is it is it cringy tech April Fool's Day already? So okay. was, I'm glad I'm not good. alone. No, it's great. It's just absolutely great. So genderify. Uh GFY. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Delete Me. Today, I want to share something personal and honestly a bit alarming. On this show, we often discuss the vast amount of personal info floating around out there. We're talking home addresses, contact details, and even information about your family. If you've ever felt that uneasy feeling about your privacy, you're definitely not alone. That's why I need to tell you about Delete Me. 
It's been a game changer for me in protecting my personal information. As someone who's been bombarded with spam calls and phishing attempts, discovering Delete Me was like finding a magic shield. Here's a really frustrating fact. The amount of personal data available online has tripled from 2019 to 2023. With rising political tensions, your political views could expose you to cybercrimes, identity theft, or even violence. Angry people, fueled by their beliefs, can access your data from data brokers that cover 98% of U.S. citizens, putting you at risk of harassment, identity theft, or worse. But there's good news. Delete Me works tirelessly to safeguard your data. They scour the internet, finding and removing your personal information from some of the largest data brokers in the world. And they don't just do it once. They continuously monitor to ensure your info stays private. I signed up and provided details on what I wanted removed, and the team at Delete Me took it from there. They keep me updated with regular reports, showing me where my information was popping up and confirming when it was deleted. Seeing their commitment to protecting my privacy has truly been a relief. Now, here's something special for all of you. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan today when you go to joindeleteme.com slash GOG and use promo code GOG at checkout. The only way to get that 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash GOG and enter code GOG at checkout. That's J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash G-O-G with code G-O-G at checkout. Today's episode is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network, also known as a VPN. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access, or PIA, can help. PIA encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network admin. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content around the world. PIA comes with an easy-to-use app and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PCMag. If you sign up with PIA right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for GOG listeners by using our link, gog.show slash VPN. You can get complete digital privacy for less than $2 a month and four extra months for free, which means only one buck 98 cents a month and up to 83% off. That's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you get it right now, you can take PIA's 30-day risk-free challenge. You can try it out for 30 days and see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So go to gog.show slash VPN and try out the best VPN on the planet completely risk-free. That's gog.show slash VPN. Ups and doodads. This next one I give a hat tip to Dr. David Teeter for, and it is awesome. This is just a Google Doc with the Google Advanced Search Operators on it. So if you want to be a power Googler... I, I'm going to have oh to ask God. you to, to edit this out. Uh, I do not want this information shared. This is my, <laughs> this is my secret sauce to being a master Googler, and a half of my career has been based on my ability to take care of Google searches extremely well. Please delete this from the record. I do not need everybody knowing this. Brian, we've been doing this show for seven years. This is episode 460. How often do you think people actually do anything that we say on this show? I think, That's true. The I secret is safe with safe. us. Exactly. 
<laughs> the only things that we're really good at is killing celebrities and making people not do something. I, I cannot stress how important these things are, how these Google advanced search operators will change your life. Uh, there are only two things in this modern age that I think that you need to have. One is critical thinking skills, and the second is these advanced search operators. If you've got those two things, you can do anything. Really, it's it's fantastic. There's some there's I mean there's a ton of stuff in here that I'd never heard of, and Tita was even like, I thought I was a master Googler, but there's some stuff in here that I've never even heard of. So yeah, it's good. It's real good. Real good. And we got another one from Teeter. This is uh, ADS B Exchange, world's largest co-op of unfiltered flight data. Now the this came about because for a couple days we were having overflights of my house by lots of military aircraft. We're sitting out walking the dogs or letting the dogs play in the yard. And we were overflown at about a, I don't know, 200 feet by two uh, Cobra attack helicopters. Mm -hmm. And then the next day we were overflown by six Blackhawks in formation and they're all going the same direction. And I'm like, Oh man, what the hell's going on here now? I'm thinking in the old days I'd go, Oh, it's, you know, they're going to Dodger stadium. They're going to do a flyover. And right. then I'm like, Oh wait, no baseball. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Even if there is a baseball, they're not going to do a flyover because there's nobody there. Yes. And, the more likely uh, uh, thing now would be they're dropping off the uh, un unidentifiable uh, soldiers to throw us in vans. Yeah, they're they're on their way to Enterprise Car Rental. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we laugh, uh, but it's real. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. We joke, but hey. We joke, but... <laughs> So as he sent it to me, I opened it up and there's a little tab that you can click for just show military aircraft. And it just, it was the, I mean, it was absolutely perfect timing. This thing was about a minute out from my house on the same trajectory. So I went outside and it went over, it was dark and they weren't like in full Blackhawk mode, but sure as shit, Blackhawk overflew my house on the same trajectory. So I sat there, I grabbed a beer, popped it and watched it go. <laughs> and then I figured out, then I went in over to like flight tracker 24 or whatever the other site is that gave me the full history of the flight. Because <laughs> uh, I got the, I got the uh, the designation from ABS Exchange, and then I went ADS Exchange, and then I went over and grabbed it on Flight Twenty Four and put it in, and it gave me the whole flight track of it. And what they're doing is, it turns out, not nefarious at all. Uh, there is a uh, an Army Reserve camp up in NorCal called Camp Roberts, but there's also the Joint Forces Training Base here in SoCal. So what they do is they basically fly straight down, and when they get to us, they hang a left and shuck and jive through L.A. because they have to go around LAX and all the air traffic to get to the, the Joint Forces training base. That's all it was. So it was just a fun fun night of trying to figure out what the hell was going on. But if you want to – there are a hell of a lot more planes in the air than I thought. Go to um, this ADS tracker, and just you can see every flight that's out there, just kind of like Flight 24, the, the other ones, the Flight Tracker 24. Right. But there's a lot of planes still out there. Don't know if there's any people on them, but, hey, who knows? So I just thought that was cool. Yeah, you have an interesting uh, idea of how to spend a fun evening. Yeah, well, I'm COVID cock-blocked. That's all I got, man. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> and this is another one that came in. Hat tip to Ken for this one. Um, the Airbus self-flying plane just completed successful taxi, takeoff, and landing tests, which is pretty cool. Now, the landing stuff has been happening for years, but the yep. trick with the landing, they're using GPS and they're using um, radio signals from the ground to triangulate position to get them in line. Mm -hmm. For these tests, they're not using that data. They, they're probably still using GPS, but they're not using the ground data right. to, to actually land the plane. 
the mm. taxi test is the really interesting one because it's really difficult to, you know, looking at ground traffic and the markings for taxiways aren't as pronounced as runways because runways are pretty easy to see from the sky. Um, but it's using like all the new cameras on the, they're using their flagship uh, A350-1000 XWB because right. it's extreme. <laughs> extreme. And, extreme. And this is one of the ones that have cameras everywhere. So it's it's a pretty cool flight test. I, I would I would get on this before I got in a fucking Waymo self-driving car any day. Any day. <laughs> well, say, you know, dri- flying is safer than driving. Yes, and there's no pedestrians in the sky. Drunk uh, pedestrians in the sky. You would not get me on this without there actually being a pilot on board as well. There, there will be pilots so, on yeah. board. They're not going to do that. <laughs> Enjoy your flight. See you. Yes. See ya. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. All right. So I saw something, uh, a new system that's been developed by MIT researchers, which is kind of cool. They're calling it Mosaic with the AI capitalized in it. Isn't that cute and clever? Isn't that sweet? <laughs> but what it's doing is it's searching through uh, artwork and finding hard to spot similarities between pieces at the Met- Metropolitan Museum of Art and Amsterdam's Rijksmuseum. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'd have no idea. Uh, they scan the images. They use deep networks to find similarities in pieces that span cultures, artists, and media that may not have otherwise been noticed. So that's kind of cool. Uh, it's an algorithm that is finding similarities in color or style, but also meaning and theme. So they've fed a whole bunch of things into this deep learning network. Activators, they're calling them, for each image. And they're looking, they're basically finding out like, oh, look, this artist must have influenced this artist in some way, shape, or form, and finding all that sort of stuff out and teasing it out. That's pretty cool. This is what I can, uh, I, I like deep learning for. Now, Brian, we've talked in the past about the right to repair mm-hmm. and all of the legislation around it and how Apple is the possibly the single worst company when it comes to right to repair. Yep. Because they have all of these proprietary parts and it's really hard to get. And they finally started opening up their program to third party repair shops, mom yes. and pop shops that can come do their thing. Well, the one thing about these, uh, these new hearings that they're having is there's a lot of emails that are coming out that we're getting <laughs> access to. And it turns out, turns out that inside of Apple, even they don't know what the hell's going on. Like, you know, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. They're conflicted. They don't know which, who, what stance are they taking? What are they going to do? Right. And it's even frustrating for the people inside. Some of the emails are pretty funny, but uh, hopefully now that these emails are out, they can finally come together on a strategy. And here's the here's the strategy, Apple. I know you're listening. I know Tim. Tim Cook, I know you're listening to the show. It's, it's, it's your favorite part, show. Part of his every Sunday. He sits down exactly. and listens to both episodes. Because we do, we generally don't talk about Apple on the show. So he's like, I need a break from Apple. Let's just listen to Grumpy Old Geeks. <laughs> well, we're breaking, the, we're breaking the code here right now, Tim. And I'm going to tell you right now, go with making it as easy to repair your shit as possible. We need it. We want it. We don't want the toaster that Steve Jobs promised us back in the 80s. We want computers that we can fix or have fixed from the mom and pop shop down the street. Pretty Agreed. Please with sugar on top. Agreed. And look, it's not like you aren't going to get your money anyways, because God knows these things will be useless in two years. So for those two years that we have your devices before we need to upgrade, because it's just not even working anymore, let us be able to repair those for two years. And then we'll buy a new one. Promise. Exactly. Or we can do what Seth Miranda is doing and build his own tower pc because he's <laughs> and t- switched t- back to pc shit. hey i've threatened that a couple times i'm thinking about switching back to pc next time yeah yeah me too except for like my my audio editing stuff but for the audio recording and live streaming stuff and video stuff fuck it man pcs are just so much better and cheaper 
And on this last one, since we were talking about Apple, I thought this was pretty fun. It's a new app that lets you uh, run classic Mac OS straight in your browser. Uh, it's based on Macintosh JS, which is kind of an Electron app. I've never heard of Electron before, but uh, it lets you experience Mac OS 8.1 like you were running it on a 1991 Quadra. Uh, again, Does it run Shockwave is all I want to know. Why would you want this? <laughs> for fun, nostalgia. Okay. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that uh, you can't run any of the good stuff. You know, I like, <laughs> I'd want to run Shockwave. I'd run, want to run. Debabalizer. Uh, Debabalizer. Oh, jeez, I miss Debabalizer <laughs> so much. Oh, God. Uh, ResEdit. I want to run ResEdit. I want <laughs> so many things that were so much fun back then. And like I said, Shockwave. I want to be able to look at all the old websites like they were meant to be and uh, get a copy of Netscape 4.0 and uh, run with that. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Check it out if you want to just dick around for a little bit. If you've got nothing else to do and you love the old uh, Mac Mac 8. Or, <laughs> and I love how they call it Mac OS 8.1. No, it was System 8. Mac OS didn't come around till you know, 10. So. Right. Anyway, try it out. Let us know because I don't think either one of us are going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Security? Ha! We are joined again this week by Dave Bittner. Dave is the host of the CyberWire podcast. Dave is also the co-host of the social engineering podcast Hacking Humans with Joe Kerrigan, as well as the co-host of Caveat with Ben Yellen, where they discuss law and policy as well as surveillance and privacy. Dave is also co-hosting with me on the new Leo's Rule podcast, <laughs> because Dave... Happy Happy birthday, Dave. Yeah, thank you very much. Yes. From one uh, fellow Leo to another. <laughs> what What is your birth date? Uh, uh, Wednesday. It'll be this Wednesday, August 5th. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. Yeah, mine was back on the 28th of July. Uh, sort of, you know, a low-key uh, birthday this year because Wonder what why? could you really do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, it had me thinking about for my 40th birthday, which for those of you keeping score, this year was my 51st birthday, so 40 would have been a while ago. But for my 40th birthday, I had a big, big party. And I had this party at a friend of mine's house who had a big, big house and a big, big yard and a big, big barbecue. And there were probably, I don't know, 75 people there. It was this big Ooh, Dave's blowout. turning 40. It was a big blowout. And this was my, you know, my friend who basically bought this house so he could have big parties, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like that was. So he yeah. was in his element and just loved it. And, you know, there was there was the guy there who wanted nothing more than to just be the guy who minds the grill, you know, who's like, I yep. got this. You know? and <laughs> so he was everybody was happy. It was, it was lots of fun. And uh, and so I was just thinking of I mean, that is by far the biggest birthday party I've ever had. And I was just contrasting that with a decade later. Oh my, how things have changed. Uh, <laughs> in fact, uh, the person who hosted that uh, party for me has passed away Aww. since then. Yeah, yeah it very, it's very sad. He uh, partied himself out. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it just time, time, time moves on and uh, that's the, the circle of life and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, you think about uh, 10 years, lots can happen. And if you'd asked me 10 years ago at that big birthday party, you know, a decade from now, uh, to imagine 
the inability for folks to even consider getting together like that, although I suppose there are some communities who are not – being stopped. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Why a little, little thing like a pandemic put the kibosh on a good right, party? <laughs> right, right. But it's a good reminder that, the, you know, you never you never know what's going to happen. Uh, so yeah. anyway, it was a low-key birthday, but um, yeah, I'm ha- ha- happy to still be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one's uh, 49 for me, so... Okay. One more till the big five zero, and it it turns out that every birthday after forty is just garbage. There's really nothing to celebrate in the the decade between forty and fifty. And fifty, I can see as a good turning point because it's like, well, didn't think I was going to make it this long. (laughs) And then, Mm -hmm. and everything after that's just like, oh, okay. Right. For me, 50 was uh, you can no longer pretend like you're young, you know, like like you're not old yet. You're not an old man, but you can no longer sort of cling to the idea. Well, I'm not that far from 35. You know, no, you're 50. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's and around, you know, your mid 40s is when, when you start going to the doctor and complaining about things. And the doctor goes, well, yeah, I mean, you're you're 45. I mean, that's this is totally age appropriate for you. And you're like, what? What do you mean? Yeah, you can't. I'm you can't 18, just fix man. It. It's like <laughs> you can't fix this. These aches and pains. This, well, no. Uh, I mean, you could take something, but uh, this is all. This is this is natural. That you should be here. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, oh God, anyway. I went for a walk this morning and pulled my neck out while I was walking. Uh, Don't know how I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm walking in a straight right, line. Right, right. I get right, home, exactly. got to put the ice on it, got the salon mm-hmm. paws on it. And I'm like, I can't even walk in a straight line without things falling apart yeah. now. Yeah, what happened? I don't know. I took a deep breath and now I can't get up, you know. Uh, friend of mine friend of mine had one uh, unfortunate fart and blew out his back one time. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, wow. That's mm, something. That oh. is. <laughs> Explain that one to the EMTs. Well, exactly. Funny story. Yeah. Yeah, huh. uh, which rolls right into my first story. It's, it's mm. so this is going to be a grab bag since uh, Brian and I recorded yesterday because he's off on his vacation. So uh, some stuff came through okay. that I thought was pretty pretty interesting because it is your birthday week, and uh, <laughs> I saw this over at the Brookings Institute. Now more than half of Americans are millennials or younger. Dave, we're mm. outnumbered. <laughs> we're we are outnumbered. We are. This, this is interesting to me because I think there was this perception that the baby boomers were just going to loom large over everything for so long. Uh, and I guess they're not – I mean I guess they still have control over the economy overwhelmingly. I was going to say they have control over the House and the Senate and everything yeah, else. right, but. right, right. So I guess that – yeah, that's true. They they can – they possess all of the wealth. <laughs> yes, that, that. That little bit right there. yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about that uh, earlier this week. I saw someone posting about having come up through college in the late 90s. And, and I finished up college in the early 90s. I graduated college in 91. And I was thinking about in the – I have a brother who's um, six years younger than me. And in the time in between when I graduated from college – and when he graduated from college, we both went to the same school. We both went to a state school, University of Maryland, nothing fancy, nothing super expensive. But in that amount of time, we went from my parents being able to just pay for my college. So I came out of college with no college debt, which I think a lot of Gen Xers 
experienced, right? College was still inexpensive enough. Our parents were riding a wave of success uh, and, and, and doing well. And so a lot of us came out certainly with not a lot of college debt. But th- then when my brother – by the time my brother got out of college, he had some college debt, not a whole lot. But he had some where I had none. And my parents weren't doing any differently than they were when I was coming through college. They were still doing well. I just think things had shifted and college was a little more expensive and life was a little more expensive. And and so I, what my point is that I think those of us who are in that – we were teenagers in the 80s cohort of Gen Xers were really the trailing edge of – the, that group who had all those advantages of very little debt, very little college debt, um, the advantages of the success that our parents may have had throughout the 70s and 80s. Uh, and then it seems like after that is when a lot of the stuff that's really bringing down um, the or, or di- putting the millennials at a disadvantage and Gen Z are trying to get a leg up home ownership and all those kinds of things seems to me like those were the years when that transition happened. Is that your sense as well? Well, I didn't go to college because we really couldn't afford it. And by the time I got out of high school, I was just like, ah, screw this stuff. And yeah, I went to community yeah. college for photography for, you know, three years. Right. And uh, to, basically I, I got, I, I figured it out early that I want to be a photographer. So I'm going to take the entire photography curriculum and mm-hmm. then I, I got it straight through 4.0 all the way through mm-hmm. and uh, went back and took the whole thing again because oh, wow. I didn't want to go into the real world. <laughs> so I was just yeah. a delaying strategy. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I aced the entire I, I went to the second best photography school in Illinois. So it oh. was it was pretty good. It was a, I mean, it was a great photography education. I got out into the real world and found out that I like taking pictures for me, but I don't like going to parades and taking pictures of Santa Claus because that's how you have oh. to start and work your way up and do all this crap. Yep. So I wanted to be a photojournalist. That was my bag. Okay. And, uh, and then also I was, uh, I, I became violently allergic to all the chemistry we had to use back then to develop black and white film and things like that. Oh, right. So I got into computers and then, you know, the rest is history from there. But my brother, on the other hand, my brother is 20 years almost to the day younger than me. Hmm. And uh, he went to college. He went to the uh, University of Wisconsin and became a medical or assistant medical physicist. His uh, like his major is physics uh, hmm. with a bent to medical physics. And now he's, you know, going for his master's and makes more money than anybody in the family combined. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> right. uh, but he came out with a pretty sizable college debt, even though they paid a lot of it as they went. They saved up a lot and they paid a lot. But, yeah, he. Yeah, he's still working that stuff down. He's going to be working it down for quite some time. So, right. yeah, I think I think that that switch is a you know your timing is about right on that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So I got another thing to ask you about, Dave. Yes. Why are people on Instagram making all these fake accounts for you? I've I, been getting I've been getting notifications from friends and saying, "Hey, somebody's spoofing the old Bittner over there on yep. uh, Instagram. What the yeah. hell's going on?" Well, I don't know. It's happening on Instagram and Facebook. And the past couple of days, I've been getting lots of messages from all of my well-meaning friends who are saying, "Hey, this isn't you, right?" And I'm saying, "No, this is not me." There have been several accounts that have been spun up, and they all seem to be coming from the same place. They're using the same you know, uh, imagery and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, I think, I guess enough people are reporting them and that's what I'm asking everyone to do. If you see one of these, please report it because it's not me. 
And uh, so I guess for whatever reason, these bad guys are playing whack-a-mole. I don't know that they're specifically coming after me. I don't know that I'm that all that interesting. It might just be my turn. I, I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Could be. Because, um, yeah, it's like, you know, I would think that, that using social media accounts for you personally would be a thing that they could actually leverage. You know, email address, maybe something like that, because, you know, you have a foot in the cybersecurity community, so they could use you as like kind of a getting in point for like a phishing scam of some right. sorts. You know, hey, I w- um, would you like to come on the show? I would really love to have you on the CyberWire or my 17,000 other podcasts. Here's mm-hmm. a link to our show prep. And that link could go to, like, you know, a malicious download, something like that. That's the only right. thing that I could think of. But, you know, why would you – Instagram has no – you know, there's no, there's nothing you can really do there. You can barely even link to anything. So Yeah. It seems that over on Facebook, they are trying to get people to go look at something. They're saying, hey, mm. how are you? Like, they're, they're, they're initiating chats with people and trying to – so it's basically a, a phishing kind of thing. They're trying to get people to go to a particular site, um, you know, and, and check out some something scammy. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be fairly sophisticated, which is why I think it might just be my turn. I'm not sure. Got it. But, well, fortunately, um, you can tell people on your 17,000 podcast that, hey, that's not me. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you if you want to shoot me some links, we'll put them in the show notes. I've got links to the at least two Instagram accounts that uh, will be in the show notes. So if anybody wants to go and report those, that would be much appreciated. Mm-hmm. I've seen the two I've seen so far are Dave Bittner, capital letter I at the mm-hmm. end. And Dave Bittner underscore at the end. Yeah, those are the two I got too. Yeah. Yep. So that's what I've seen. So if you've gotten anything from them, please report them. Hopefully we'll get them to move on to someone more interesting than me. (laughs) Yes. And shout out to Supple7 or D Supple uh, from from France who uh, pointed it out to me and told me to pass it along to you. So I I appreciate it. And he showed it to me and he's like, he must be doing something right. (laughs) <laughs> He's being spoofed. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, I, uh, I do think about that sometimes. How big a target do I have on my back just, you know, for, for what I – for being in cybersecurity and being out in front of people talking about cybersecurity, does that automatically put a target on my back? But it doesn't seem like it has so far any in any sort of serious way. I guess I shouldn't tempt fate by talking I was going to say, it, knock but... on wood, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's right. really all about the company you keep and the people you have access to. So, right. You know. Right. Yeah. So far, so good. All right. Well, let's hope it stays that way. And mm-hmm. speaking of phishing attacks, uh, mm. I, did you guys cover this yet? That uh, apparently the hackers that stole the Twitter employee credentials did it by phone phishing. Yeah. Yeah. We covered that on today's CyberWire um, and uh, also included a little bit of uh, speculation from Graham Cluley, uh from Smashing Security, who was saying that it, he suspects that it was uh, probably a tech support kind of scam. You know, mm. a, a tech support uh, services kind of scam. But who knows? Uh, I mean, that's bold, you know, person to person. But we also know it's effective. Super effective. Yep. No, it's it's one of the ways because nobody expects it. Nobody expects the Twitter Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
So, you know, the the, uh, the criticism continues uh, toward Twitter for having these tools available to so many people. Um, but uh, it seems as though maybe there was some lateral movement done within the organization. So, which, which again, right on brand for these types of people. They try to hit somebody in the organization uh, who's uh, just gives them access and then they pivot from there or move laterally within the organization and, and until they get what they want. Yeah, just basically, uh, you know, picking up information along the way on who's in the organization, what they do in the organization, and blah blah blah, things like that. You know, mm-hmm. once you get the company Rolodex, you can at least have some kind of idea of who you need to talk to and who's in what department and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's. I, and anybody who's not read any of Chris Hadnagy's work yet. Go mm-hmm. go get all of Chris Hadnagy's books. I, I, apparently not his first one. He's not too happy about that one anymore. <laughs> it seems to be about outdated. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but he's he's literally written you know the books on social engineering, and uh, he's the guy to go to for sure. And uh, check out his podcast as well, the Social Engineering Podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. I would say also on Twitter, uh, if you follow Rachel Toback, um, she is a champion. Uh, social engineer uh, in the the competition in Black Hat. I think she's won. She's won at least two years in a row, maybe three. I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, she's been following this Twitter thing in particular very closely. So if, if you want to follow the details of this and get her expert take on it, and, and she is an expert on it, uh, Rachel Toback is a good follow over on Twitter as well. Awesome. Yeah. Last time I saw Chris Hadnagy was at DerbyCon. And we got mm. absolutely blotto in the green room for Crystal <laughs> Method. Oh, man. they! I tell you, Dave Kennedy knows how to buy the right whiskey for his bands, and we drank all of it. <laughs> I don't know that I've met Chris in person. I've interviewed him a few times. We've talked about his books, but... Mm-hmm. I can't recall if we've actually met face to face. It's hard to remember sometimes. You'd remember he's a big dude. He's like six three and a giant of a guy. And oh, I tell really? you, and I tell you what, we went out to dinner, and I have not laughed that hard in years. He, huh. You know, he comes off as pretty straight laced when he's talking social engineering and all that right. stuff. But he is one of the right. funniest people you'll ever meet. Okay. Well, I'll have to make a point of that when we're all able to get together again. <laughs> yeah. If RSA ever meets it in person again, uh, I'll, I'll have to try to make that happen. Yeah, fun. hanging out with Chris was one of the highlights of DerbyCon. There were many, many highlights at DerbyCon. But, uh, yeah, just hanging out with Chris and hearing some of his stories. I mean, the guy's just funny as can be. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. So a little bit more news. I'm sure you guys covered this one as well. Rite Aid deployed facial recognition systems in hundreds of U.S. stores. Mm-hmm. Now, this mm-hmm. one, it doesn't surprise me on this one. So hmm. they had it in more than 200 stores across the United States, and they were using it for theft prevention, basically. Right. So if you came into the store, at one point you were a jerk or you stole some Skittles, they flagged yep. you in the database. So yep. when you came back in, if... The, you know, the facial recognition software, you know, grabbed you and said, hey, is this this guy? Then the people behind the counter could match it with the previous photos, see if it's you and then give you the boot. I don't know if I feel too bad about this because I know I'm on camera at all these different stores and it's not like they're, you know, they're profiling you for any specific thing unless you've done something nefarious already and you're already in the database. Then they use humans to match it. Uh, What do you think about this? Well, do, have you ever worked retail? Yes, I have. 
Um, I, I, I have two. And I remember back in the, again, when I was in college. So let's say, uh, you know, late eighties to early nineties. Mm-hmm. I worked at, wait for it, Radio Shack. Mm. Uh, <laughs> at the mall uh, in Columbia. You got your geek um, card for that one. You're in the- <laughs> I did. I did. I actually, it was a, I enjoyed the job very much. In fact, it was a job that I had coveted throughout my childhood because, you know, Radio Shack was where the computers were when I was a, a little boy. My first computer was a TRS-80. Yep. Um, so when the opportunity came to work at this Radio Shack, I took it and, uh, and I enjoyed it very much. I liked helping people. I must have written up thousands of little diagrams to help people hook up their VCRs and, you know, be able to watch one channel and record another and get them all those kinds of things. But uh, it was a very busy store in a very busy upscale mall. Um, and we knew who the, some of the bad guys were. Mm-hmm. You know, there were folks who came and, and all the mall merchants knew who some of the bad guys were. There were people who, when they came into your store, you, everybody was put on alert, you know, yep. we couldn't kick them out necessarily, but it was basically keep an eye on that guy or that group of guy. Cause they usually traveled in groups. Yep. Packs um, to dis- like distract one person and then the it, other one yeah. pockets. It. Exactly. Yeah. Someone would come up to the counter and keep you busy by asking to see this, that, and the other. And meanwhile, uh, the partners were making their way around the store, stuffing things in their jackets or who, you know, whatever. Yep. Um, but one of the things that we did was when we saw those guys come in the store, somebody started rolling one of the camcorders that was behind the counter because mm-hmm. we didn't have – this was before video surveillance was pervasive the way it is and cheap and all that kind of stuff. So we didn't right. have video cameras all over the store. But someone would do that uh, and sometimes they'd make a big show out of it so that the the folks coming in the store would see that – they were rolling the video camera. Yep. Um, so I, I guess it's a long way to say that to me this seems kind of like that. Uh, if you're using it to flag known troublemakers and you're putting known troublemakers into a database just to alert the humans to to keep an eye on someone, mm-hmm. I guess I don't have so much of a problem with that. The, the yeah. problem I would have where it would be if a system like this were automated and it said, uh, you know, hey, anytime someone who's black or Latino comes in the store, a, a big siren goes off or something, you know, like. Yeah, which obviously, we, you know. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. But that. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. But we know that these systems have biases against, you know, groups of people. They, they don't do well with people of color. Mm-hmm. As well as they do with white folks, so um, I don't know. What do you think? I'm I'm okay with it for theft prevention. That's I, yeah. you know, and and to protect the staff. So if you know that somebody's been violent in the past, then you get them the hell out of the store. Like you are not allowed to shop here. People can't be put on a permanent ban list for a store. Right, and they get the boot. I am fine with that. What if in, you get in, a false positive? Well, the the point is, is that that's why there's the human interaction between, you know, you see the previous photo, you see the next photo. Somebody has to look at it before you act mm-hmm. on it. It's not like mm-hmm. whoop, 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 let's call in RoboCop, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, the manager looks at it and says, looks like that guy. Let's let's go talk to him, you know? Right. Are you so-and-so? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I can see where there can still be, you know, human level false positives, but... And right. even then, it's even if you're just if it's for theft prevention, then you just watch them. You know, it just gives you another it gives you another target to look at and say, hey, look, this person might be stealing some stuff. Let's keep an mm-hmm. eye on them. Because I worked in an art gallery 
And I wish we'd have had this because every year at Christmas, there was this group of people that would come in and they would always, and they always got away with it too, because we were so packed, they would steal an Airtay statue. Usually, you know, fifteen to $20,000 statue. Wow. And the art gallery was self-insured. So basically we had to eat it every year. How, and what are we talking? I'm not familiar with this. How big a statue are we talking about? It's about 18 inches tall, made of bronze. Okay. And uh, they're, they're heavy as hell. They're like, you know, 40 or 50 pounds. But, you know, you can easily put one. This is in Chicago, so everybody's wearing trench coats. So um. it's easy to grab one, put it in your trench coat, and walk out the store, you know. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the people in the front are looking out the store. We're not looking behind us. And then, pe- like, all the gallery personnel are dealing with people. So we can't watch everything all the time. So if we'd have been able to, like, get them on video one year tag them and know who they were, then, you know, for five years, we probably wouldn't have lost five statues. Hmm. And it was like clockwork. And I, I mean, the first, the second time it happened, my, my dad was the, the director of the gallery and he came out and goes, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, and the whole store turns <laughs> and looks at him and we're like, what? My dad, <clears throat> my dad has an anger management swearing problem. <laughs> he likes to swear a lot because okay. he followed up the son of a bitch with a lot of MRFers and <laughs> things like that. And uh, there, was, there was lots of yelling. Um, <laughs> but once they're out the door, you can't do anything. Oh, and here's the funny part. My dad used to sell security systems for West Tech and Westinghouse back in the day. And the most important thing back then that you could do is take two little white columns and put them on either side of the door. Didn't have to be hooked up to anything. And your your loss rate would go down 80% because they hmm. thought that the tags were on things. Mm-hmm. But the people who stole the Airtays didn't care. <laughs> so they figured out wow. that, that 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 was security theater. But uh, all the little stuff that used to get stolen, it stopped. It was pretty cool. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. For us, we it would be, um, but besides little little things, you know, cables and headphones and things like that. The the big stuff people wanted to grab at the time were VCRs, mm, not you know, the remote controlled could, cars. <laughs> no, uh, no, not so much. I mean, we only had those out around Christmas time. Mm. I suspect we probably did lose, but Christmas time was so busy that no one would miss a, a remote control car being gone. But it was right. more the slow time during the week or something when. Somebody would come in and a VCR was just small enough that someone could tuck it under their, you know, inside their jacket, under their arm and try to get out the store with it. So, yeah, you know, we assuming this these- is assuming it's VHS, not Betamax. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. You're right. Right. Playing <laughs> a quad machine out of the corner. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, that was the big thing. Like you said, you weren't allowed to chase them down or anything like that. So. But if somebody did that, you know, everybody who was on duty got a nice talking to about not, you know, following, not being more vigilant. And we were all like, well, you know, what what are we supposed to do? <laughs> we're, we're doing the best we can. So, yeah, I don't know. Yep. I don't know. Well, I got a quick shout out here to uh, Rajiv, a.k.a. Awara from our Clash Royale clan, because uh, we've already recorded our closing shout outs for the week. So I had to, had to slide that one in there. Welcome to the clan. And uh, he's kicking ass for us. So I just, we, we had to give a shout out. <laughs> well, before we go, I know uh, you guys uh, are touching on this uh, Macintosh uh, emulator that's been making the rounds. Yes. Uh, and I have to say it caught my attention and I've been having fun with it as well. 
uh, as someone I, I you know the Macintosh the Quadra Seven Hundred may very well be my favorite Macintosh. Really. Ever. Well, I got two. I got two. I got the Quadra okay. 650 and the Quadra 840 AV. The 840 hmm. AV I loved, except when you had to change the RAM on it, and then you got just bloody knuckles because the way they put the logic board. But the 840 right. AV, I loved that machine. Yeah, that was a good machine. I think the this Quadra 700 was just – I did a lot with that machine. I had it for a long time. I think it was the first machine I ever bought to do professional work on it. I played a ton of marathon on it. Oh, yeah, um, marathon. <laughs> and uh, I, I clock chipped that machine. You know, They came out of the box at 25 megahertz and I had mine running at 33, just setting the world on fire back when you'd, you know, you'd replace the crystal on the motherboard and – <laughs> get more speed out of it so it's doing that but uh anyway this emulator is a lot of fun and it's just so interesting to look back and think to see how primitive the interface was but remember how advanced it was for the time compared to everything else out there yeah you exactly know? yeah and i'm curious why they went with 8.1 instead of system 9 hmm i don't it's know a, it's an odd one Maybe uh, Apple doesn't reach back so far in trying to clamp down on things. I don't know. Oh, maybe, maybe. Because uh, I tell you, I mean, I toyed around with the idea of getting an old Mac just to have it and be able to run some of the old stuff. Because that's what Brian and I talked about in uh, Apps and Doodads is that uh, it can't run Shockwave. And uh, I want to hmm. be able to run – I want to be able to run Netscape 4.0 and Shockwave so all my old movie websites work. <laughs> so, I can, so I can screen cap them. Do you remember, uh, what was it? Was it Dark Castle? Was that the one with the crows that flew around? And, and, rah, rah, and you go, rah, rah. I don't know. Somebody listening Dark knows what Castle. I'm talking about. I think it was Dark Castle. It was a little, you know, you, you had to, go, it was kind of like um, Prince of Persia. It was a. It was before Prince of Persia, but it was I that know, sort of thing. I know. The, yeah. Yeah. I know you're the game you're around, talking about. Yeah. Right. I thought you were talking scroller. about Darklands for a second, which was another. No. That was a four-player game, but yeah, 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 yeah. Lots of fun and amazing that you can run these sorts of things in JavaScript under emulation, and it just works. <laughs> I know, but yeah. Speaking of that old stuff, I went to uh, Steam and and got the original Darklands because we had it. My friend Bob and I, who does our our VO, and yep. it was like a twenty-four floppy disk game. <laughs> it was a it was a PC game, but you know you'd get to a different level, and then you would have to swap your swap your discs out to get to the next level. And right. on the last disc, there was a bug because we had version one and it crapped out at the end every time. Oh, we played no. that whole game through for like maybe two years. We would get through it, and it would die at the same spot, and it was so annoying. So I went to Steam and I got it. I loaded it up, and then I started to play it, and I'm like, eh. Uh -uh. Nope, ain't gonna happen. You're not falling for that one again. I got my. Well, they fixed it. It, it is in the. It is in the notes that that bug is fixed. But like I'm playing it, and it's just uh. like you know, it was cool to watch the the intro sequence again. It was cool to see the the eight bit graphics and all that. And then when it got to the gameplay part, I'm like, wow, this is painful. I'm gonna go play Call of Duty on my Xbox One <laughs> instead yeah. in 4K. Yeah. yeah. Some things are better left to your memory, like uh, some of those old games and the movie Purple Rain. Best yeah. to leave it to remember the way that you remembered it back in the day, because if you revisit it, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Also with Caddyshack and Airplane, sadly enough. But uh, I'd agree with Caddyshack. I'm not sure about Airplane. 
Give it a shot. We covered it on Does It Have Legs. <laughs> I, if you still have fond memories of Airplane, leave it. <laughs> I think Top Secret still holds up. I've never seen it, actually. Ugh. Top Secret is uh, the movie that those guys did after Airplane, and it's kind of—it's even smarter than Airplane. It's, it's worth a look. So it's very okay. funny. So it's along the same veins, but the jokes are even deeper than they were in Airplane. It's, uh, I highly recommend it. Really funny movie. All right. Well, I think we're done with random shit with Dave Bittner this week. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, all right. Well, have a good week. I hope Brian is enjoying himself on vacation. I have to say I'm a little envious that uh, he gets to do that. Good for him. I hope he gets some rest and relaxation. Look forward to chatting with him when he gets back. Yep. He'll be back next week. So the gang will be all here. All right, man. All have right. a great weekend. You too. Originally, I was going to put this guy in as a hero, but that was just going off the headline. Uh, Dump Man gets public to call his ex-girlfriend impersonating Chewbacca. Well, on the surface, it sounds pretty <laughs> on good. On the surface, it sounds good. You do find out that he was actually cheating on her. She dumped him because she found out his Facebook account and he was messaging all these other women. So he's kind of a jerk. He also dumped a car with no wheels on her driveway to block her in. Kind of a jerk move. However, uh, it sounds criminal. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. However, however, the idea of going around town and posting her phone number on leaflets, boasting a $100 prize for the best Chewbacca impression is kind of genius. It's funny. And she even points out the, the poor woman who's dealing with this. She actually thinks it's kind of hilarious, except for the fact that people are calling at like three in the morning. But people are calling and just making Chewbacca noises into her phone. Kind of funny. Yeah, at least she has a sense of humor about she it. She has a but... sense of humor about it. She sounds like a catch. I think this guy screwed up. Totally screwed up. Now, I, found... <laughs> I found this one over at the BBC, and it's how Lockdane, how Lockdane, how Locked, see, I got COVID brain. How that's, lockdown... that's like your Highlander name. I'm Lockdane. Lockdane, there can be only one, you little bastard. How Lockdown may have changed your personality. And it's a long read, and it's interesting. Uh, depressed. A lot of it... Tired, depressed, no. Well, angry. you know what? <laughs> well, then, if you want to go there, people who score highly for neuroticism might have particularly struggled in this regard. This trait is associated with a tendency towards negative emotions like anxiety, vulnerability, sadness, and for you, Brian, irritability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people, people who struggle with high neuroticism are also prone to creating more stress for themselves, for example, by getting into conflict with other people. <clears throat> or by avoiding situations they find threatening. But for the most part, they say that they've done some studies on it, but they were done like uh, after we were in for a month. Um, There's no real longitudinal data on it yet, but it's interesting. And they're saying that, uh, yeah, some of the the personality traits that may change over time, you may not want to go back to your old you (laughs) because you might like the new you because a lot of people are becoming more introspective and actually more empathetic and nicer to other people. Really? Not in Los yeah. Angeles. Uh, not as far as I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen it. Must be nice. Gonna have Must to get myself nice. to one of them places. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you what one of those places isn't right now. The Glendale Galleria parking garage. <laughs> I don't know if you looked at these pictures, but, uh, you know, I, I know everybody's itching to get out and try to experience some sort of normalcy again. But uh, as the title points out from L.A. Magazine, the Glendale Galleria parking garage is officially the bleakest al fresco dining destination on Earth. See, I've seen other articles that talk about this, how they took all the tables out and put it in the parking garage. And some mm-hmm. people actually had a really good review of it. So this is just a bad review of it. 
And, you know, the the biggest problem is they didn't take the entire floor because there's, there's still cars there. So you're going to yes. get carbon monoxide. There are cars <laughs> driving right past you as you eat between the yeah. orange traffic cones. Yeah. And since we do live in Southern California, and that's where the Glendale Galleria is, I have a particular phobia of parking garages. Mm-hmm. Because uh, just think about this morning, we had a 4.2 earthquake out here. And uh, parking garages tend to pancake. And I do not want to be pancaked. I will do everything in my power to avoid parking garages. And if I have to go in them, I am going as fast as humanly possible to get in and get out. Wouldn't it be ironic if you were eating IHOP in the Glendale Galleria parking garage when you got pancaked? Oh, God. That was a good one, though. Give you that. (laughs) Thank you. Closing shout outs. So my closing shout is a strange one. This goes to Michael Cuervo from ChimneyCheckup.net. We had a a chimney emergency today, and we had to have have someone come out and check it for us. And... uh, Michael, if you're, if you're listening, nice to meet you. And uh, if you're in Southern California and you have a chimney and you need it checked up, uh, definitely call Michael. It's, uh, his service is great. He came in wearing a mask, socially distanced the whole time. Had it, he was extremely professional. And now we are in, uh, we're in the lane to get our chimney fixed, which is great. So it is, it, especially since it's going to be 106 this weekend. Yeah, that'll be useful. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're planning for the future, Brian. We're planning for the All future. Right. Well, I'll give a shout out to uh, to his friend Jose Cuervo, who has been helping me get through <laughs> get through the pandemic. All right. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Brian Schulmeister. And I'm Jason DeFilippo. Thanks for listening to Grumpy Old Geeks. To support the show and keep us on the air, go to GOG.show slash donate. And if you want to get some merch, go to GOG.show slash shop. Toss us a few bucks and buy some shit, and we'll love you forever. Your support really keeps us going, and we really appreciate it. Show notes for this episode are at GOG.show slash 460. From there, you can find links to old episodes, leave feedback, ask questions, donate to the show, and get links to stuff we like. Stay grumpy!